podcast with Victor Pacheco. Hello and welcome to Poppycock Podcast with your host, Victor Pacheco. We got a very great show for you all today. We are very honored and privileged to have the very talented uh, comedian. You know her from or you've seen her from America's Got Talent. The very funny Vicky Barbalak. Hi, Victor. Hey, Hi. how you Listen, I'm, a I'm running a little behind, so I'm having to put on my lashes now because right after we have this interview, I got to go down to the theater. I'm at the Luxor hosting the AGT, so if you don't mind. The I'm Luxor. Gonna... Oh, that's awesome. Hosting the AGT. That's that's the AGT theater. Is that correct? It's the it's the Luxor, uh, Luxor Theater, and it's the AGT live show. You are so lucky you're a dude and you don't have to do this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Um, Over my all over my face, and I had to start almost again. Ridiculous. Um, <laughs> no, it is. Uh, I should have. I really shouldn't have tried to do this while I'm talking. But anyway, yeah, it's <laughs> AGT live shows are here at the Luxor in Las Vegas, and I'm hosting, and it's a really fun show. Uh, it, I'm just having a ball, and and right now there's clouds. Can I turn the phone and show you guys what Vegas looks like today? Absolutely. And... It's cloudy and beautiful. I've never heard the words cloudy and beautiful used together to describe the scenery, but that is really very, that I is love clouds. They make me look thinner. <laughs> I've never heard. That. I've never heard that. Who are you talking to, Victor? How do clouds make, make you have the dark shadow on you instead of the blinding sun and you look thinner in the dark? Oh, OK. <laughs> I can't believe you don't know that. I didn't know that. Like for me, it's like I, summer's the equalizer for for, for yeah, everybody yeah. because everybody's Everyone sweating out of breath. <laughs> Everyone's fatter in summer, but it, it just <laughs> cool. And uh, and that's why I'm late. I spent too much time at the pool because it was so nice and cool here. It's like ninety and it's beautiful. Oh, that's awesome! Wow, it's ninety and it's cloudy. Oh my goodness! Yeah, well, they have the typhoons there in Las Vegas too. So that's like for me, I'm like, oh yeah, well, it's all desert. Of course, they have to have you know some rains going on yeah. and all that good stuff. But I floods, yeah. <laughs> so how are you doing today, Vicky? I'm just great. I'm happy to be here. I was in Williamsburg, Virginia, the last ten days, doing a show at SeaWorld. And that was really fun, but it was super humid, but really nice people. Like so many cool people I had a great time, but it's just, I'm so surprised to be in Las Vegas when it's so pleasant, when I was expecting, you know, sun being living on the sun. So just weather somehow or another does affect us. You know, I think like you get a little weather break, whoopee. Yeah, I've, I've been, I don't know. I've been to some sh like summer shows. Uh, when the sun is out and it's a beautiful day and uh, nobody comes to the comedy show because That's, it's just it's much better in the winter. Oh, but absolutely. Last, last night, second, there's two shows a night here at AGT Live. And last night on my second show in my I have to do two acts in each show. Mm -hmm. I told the same joke twice. I told another joke. <laughs> I told it the earlier joke and the whole audience is like. 3,000 people there and they just look at me like Vicky you're telling it again they yelled at me I'm like oh are you that kind of audience that expects a fresh new joke with every show <laughs> <laughs> that 
People don't understand that, though. Non-comedians don't understand that. That's why I was laughing right now, because it's just like when you do more than one show a night, especially when it's at the same venue, you're like you sometimes you have like deja vu moments. Did I tell this story already? Did I not tell this story already? And it's messed up because sometimes the headliner will catch the first your, your first set of the night and then yeah. riff off of it during the second act, but then you didn't do the same set. So they're like, yes. what the hell are you talking about? It's like, <laughs> it's so funny. And, and, um, and they're just like six minute sets, you know? So it's pretty lame that I could have managed to do that. But I think I was just so tired because I'd done 28 shows last week in Williamsburg and they were, you know, different. And I, I have no excuse, but it was, uh, it was one of those moments. And I went outside to, to see the audience after, cause I was, I had to, to walk through them and they were all just being so nice but I tried to put my bag literally on my head to get through but they all recognized my leopard dress so <laughs> oh my god <laughs> that's like when a fat guy tries to tries to conceal their their laughter they put their hand over their face and the fat fat body's jiggling it's just exactly. like that <laughs> it's just fully like that but no, oh my god. no no you noticed vicky <laughs> no vicky you're 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 really hilarious i want to tell the people at home that i met you and uh actually didn't meet you i i saw you for the first time live um in july of 20 uh 2017 at la jolla comedy store and it was one of those showcase nights where everyone does like seven to eight minutes or something like that. It's a, uh, it, and it was one of those rough crowds. It was like really like like it was hard to get laughs. And then Vicky walks up in there and closes out the show and just schmurders. I've described well, it as schmurdering, where it's beyond murdering. It's a schmurder. That, that's my very, <laughs> that's my very first club. That's my home, and I just feel so you know at home in that room. But that's such a special room. That was Sam Kinison's favorite room, and. It's just, I don't know. It's got a magic to it. That's just so special to, to me. And I love it. Did you enjoy it? Enjoy, enjoy your first show there? Even though uh, you had to work? I, I, I definitely, I, I enjoy it um, anywhere where I have to work because I, I actually, um, especially there because uh, I had to come back the next night and I actually bombed that night. And I was like, you know what guts is coming back to the venue the next day and like such a legendary venue too. I'm, I, and then I'm nervous. Like, I'm like, Oh, are they going to cancel me? Was it that bad? But thank goodness I was able to redeem myself the next day. And I actually had a really good set. And I oh. met, I met your husband, Lou, who I didn't know was your husband, but uh, he made me cry uh, because he's a pianist at the comedy store in La Jolla and he was playing uh, What a Wonderful World. And it was it really got to me. It's just like, you know, it's like, don't make me cry so close to, to, to stage time. It's so <laughs> like <laughs> and he would play such a sad song. And now the comedy show. <laughs> but he played it so elegantly and beautifully. It was like really like you could feel his soul. It was really it was I was like I, I was like crying. I was like, oh, God, thank God I'm not in the green room right now. Because otherwise, all these comics like what's going on? I'm like, oh, yeah, I got in a, I got in a fight with my girl. It's definitely not this song. Um, but. Yeah, people have to play that at their weddings. Okay, Victor, I had to give up on this lash. <laughs> I got, got a bunch of cotton burr in it when I got the glue all over my face. Oh, no. That's why I told you I had to start now. It takes me like one hour to put on two lashes. It's just ridiculous. Oh, okay. And nobody uh, even cares. Nobody even notices if I have them on. I don't even know why I try. 
Oh my god. I I mean, some dudes notice it. I mean, I notice it like if they're like really like sprinkly and stuff, but I don't know. I'm, I really I didn't even know women wore makeup till I was a teenager. Oh, that's so cool. I just I just thought everybody was naturally beautiful. Everybody yeah, and what I really hate is when women go, "Oh, I don't, or men. They go, "I like women that look natural." And I want to just punch them because yeah, you know how much these women are spending to look natural a lot. They're covered in bare minerals and all kinds of secret makeup, you idiots. Absolutely. And then the the shape, the shape modifying of the bodies, there's butt pads that people the men and women put in uh, to make yeah. their butts look all supple and big and round. And that- I can't I get I get I get I'm you know, I'm a big girl, so I get on these fat ladies mailing lists for all these uh, you know, catalogs. Mm-hmm. I got a catalog that had a butt enhancer size 5XL. 5XL. Who? Who needs to go like over the XL? Who is going to buy the 5XL? I'm like, are you kidding me? Like you just, you can't do a doorway with a 5XL butt enhancer. Um, there, there are 5XL people with no butts. I'm being one of them. Uh, so <laughs> maybe that's where I have to order. Well, they can purchase you some next time I see them on sale for $13.99. They were very... No, no, no. I, I'm not. I'm not one of those type of guys. I'm more like, uh, no, I, I don't wear any like uh, pr- uh, prosthetics, what, shall we say. But if you did, and it changed your life, and you'd like, have me. Okay, well, my, my beard, for example, I grew up my beard to be more masculine before the pandemic, before everybody grew out their beard to be popular. Um, and I've gotten the most compliments I've ever gotten. Like my bookings even changed because of it. I'm just like, shit. I must have been really ugly before the fucking beard. You know, no. now that I'm a different dude. <laughs> you know? You're right. Very, is it a lot of work to maintain? Uh, no, no, it's not. It's actually re- it's almost idiot proof. Just sometimes like I, I mess up the line and I go really short right here. So I got like one of those little shit stained mustaches that then yeah. have to match to the rest of my beard that connects right here. And and then I'm like, man, my I look ridiculous. And I get a lot of compliments. Man, did you man, that looks really nice, dude. How did you get it so thin? I'm like, I fucked up shaving. It's a horrible thing. <laughs> you know, that's a, that's another good thing about being a dude. Like I I didn't know I'm 64 and nobody told me that, you know, one day I was going to grow a beard. I mean, they told me, you know, your eyes are going to go bad. But your aunts, your mother, they never mentioned the beard. And uh, during covid, you know, you couldn't get waxed. And I started using a man's razor. I was like, I mean, my doctor told me that I have the same testosterone level as a 19 year old dude at my age. So right. like, all I want to do is like drink beer and bang chicks, grow this beard. <laughs> and I had to get a electric razor during COVID. And the first time I plugged it in, it was horrifying. I was like, my balls were in the sink. It was the yeah. worst, worst thing I ever had to do. <laughs> oh my god i just want to just just stay for the record how fucking because that's like really like a lot of information that a lot of people Sorry. would not share we're not sharing a million years and you made it hilarious relatable and <laughs> i mean i love it it's it's fucking it's 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 awesome it makes me, it makes me feel so i'm sorry it's like messing <laughs> it's it, me- <laughs> horrible like in berkeley you go to berkeley and the women proudly wear their beards you know and they look like you they look like very trim they you can't see their double chins like my i have like five six chins if i could afford to live in berkeley i would just grow this bitch out <laughs> oh you would be you would you would have a um 
a whole different type of fan base too. Like in addition right. to the fan base that you have. Exactly. And you know, we can, I can, we can go to beard shows and. Yeah. <laughs> Berkeley. Berkeley's a weird place. I did a show in Berkeley and it was an all ages show and there was a, and it was all adults, but there was a mom with her like 11 year old kid that was reading a book before the comedy show. <laughs> In Berkeley, California, and I'm like, oh, shit, this crowd's going to hate me. And then and they, they were they actually really did like me. It was just like the, the woman said the, the producer, she was very, 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 very adamant about. OK, Victor, I know you're a dirty comic, but you can only say fuck once. I was like, OK, cool. I'm once. OK, That's cool. Funny. OK, cool. You I'm not, it, you, you, I, I usually <laughs> like, no, you can't say hell even. They give you one fuck. Then you got to remember if you did it. That's a lot of stress. <laughs> I get it out real early. Get it out real <laughs> early, real early. Quick pander to the crowd. You know, it, like, especially in dicey situations. Oh, my God. Okay, what are you holding up right there? That was... Victor, since I have to start again, do you like these <laughs> better or these better? I like the first ones. I like these. the first... Yes, those ones are cool. I feel like that's the compliments I get on my eyelashes. When people give me compliments on my eyelashes, like, you know, you have really pretty eyelashes. I was like, yeah, say I have supple breasts too. Okay. Thank you. You know, that's beautiful. Men, men, men that have beautiful eyelashes. They are, why God gives you better eyelashes than us. So unfair. Yeah. I, this is what I would look like if I, if I did grow the beard out. So, Give you a small idea. <laughs> That's a little flavor saver right there. Yeah. <laughs> For later. That was so much work to maintain. I would never. Oh my God. Yeah, that little flavor saver though. That one, that one's a tough one though, because like it's a triangle. And like if you yeah. mess it up, you know, it has to be, I don't know. I have OCD though, too. And so like no. it just needs to be even, needs to be even, needs to be even. But uh yeah, uh out of out of some things I wanted to ask you if it was cool that um because you're such a cool, cool, awesome person. You're really like humble and down to earth. And so like, I'm a dude in comedy. What can I do to make the scene safer for women? Well, I, I, I think you just be who you are and you don't have to do anything else. I mean, you're wonderful. And if there's, you know, we, I think we can take care of ourselves now. I mean, I think there was so few of us for so long and there were girls getting, you know, I have this one dear friend, she quit comedy because uh, somebody who I actually know, but I didn't know it till years later that he told her, he goes, uh, you're not funny. Uh, maybe I could fuck some funny into you. And, uh, and that wow. was just, he really thought he could. That's how, and he's, he's a guy that I have to see every now and then. And I, and, uh, but a bunch of guys did actually step up for her a little bit, but she still actually left comedy because she just uh, felt badgered out. And there was a bunch of girls who actually confronted the manager of the comedy store about 15 years ago because there was a, such a darkness for a moment there. Um, and uh, I just, you know, I, I'm glad there's so many more women doing it now. It's just there's safety in numbers. And there's people like you that are, you know, that are just treated, you know, they're just, we're equal humans. Comedy is not, you know, I, I might think women are naturally funnier than men, but that's just my personal belief. I'm not saying it's absolutely true, but I mean, I mean, we are communicators. We have more of a communicator part of our brain. So, I mean, I just think that we're, we, we are, we have a lot to offer. We have as much as men, of course, 
and uh, yeah, it's 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 definitely getting better. You, I, sorry. No, no. Oh no, because like uh, the because you said that statement that women are funnier than men, but there's some men that think that women are not funny, and I think that comes from uh, well, first of all, it comes from insecurity, but just the fact that you know th- that they are supposed to be funny, you know, in, in order, like, you know, like men are supposed to be funny. And like, so when the woman is funnier, they are really intimidated by this happening to them that like in, in their mind and they're really sexist, misogynistic mind. I don't know. I don't, I don't want to figure it out as much as I just want to exactly. heal it. Heal no, it. Exactly. I think people are like, Oh, like in any field, is a woman going to take my spot? I mean, I think that, I think it's, it's going to naturally change you know, there's because naturally more women are being pilots. Naturally, more women are running businesses. Naturally, more women are doing comedy and naturally men are going, you know what? It's not a big deal after all. I just it, we thought it was because you feel threatened, you know, evolutionary wise. But and when I say women are funnier than men, I, I really don't believe that. But I believe that our brains have a bigger capacity for communication because they, they studied the brain and our our communicate. That's why we talk so much. And sometimes people say too too much. I mean, so we really are bigger communicators. So you'd think that would transfer to comedy. Plus we have, they've done studies, like we have a higher sense of what's funny. Although I'm a big fan of fart jokes myself. So. <laughs> fart jokes are funny though, but I'm I just. Uh... Poop jokes, can't get enough. <laughs> I, I fall down. I can't stop. I saw a woman, her, she, my brother and I, a couple of years ago, we're in San Marino and this lady was pushing her baby in a baby car that fall and the cart literally slowly, slowly tipped over and the baby rolled out of the cart like, like a, like a cantaloupe. Oh shit. And, and Mark and I were unable to offer assistance because we were doubled over laughing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's only hilarious when it's not your kid. That's so- <laughs> Probably even laughing if it was my kid, but it was. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that's that's incredible. That's incredible. Incredible. Horrible. Horrible. Horribly hilarious. Um, yeah, that's that's. <laughs> I mean, yeah, physical humor is cool too. I mean, especially. I don't know. I, I've actually fallen and injured myself, and have, and have had people mock me, and then like you know, then I'm praying. I'm like, why isn't our state open, Carrie? You know, I would have shot, would have shot <laughs> these fucking guys for laughing at me. It's different. If nobody gets hurt, it's it's different. If somebody <laughs> didn't get hurt. It was just, you know, hilarious. It was just an accident, a happy accident. It's not like she rolled into the street and the car crushed her. She just took a suit. <laughs> <laughs> Is this the justification you gave to the mom of the infant? Just want to know. Mother was looking at horrified and we just oh we could we couldn't agree with her more but we there was nothing we could do oh my god that's so funny um yeah it's, it's, that's that's all about being uh, at the right place at the right time which is I, yeah I, I think would be a good transition to my next question that um mitzi shore noticed you at the comedy store and helped you with your development as a comic uh what are what are some of the lessons or advice that Mitzi gave you like with either developing as a comedian or as a writer that turned you into the monster performer that you are today? Because you 
are incredibly talented beast-like headliner she never said said very much she never said very much these are the major (laughs) things i remember that she physically said to me like i okay (laughs) like i would get to go to her house and have lunch and talk with her about family and her past and history of her life and i would i was always just like amazed that i was all in those positions but in terms of like giving me comedy advice the only thing she said was always make sure you have a run in your stockings she thought that was really funny and then she would constantly when she put you in the lineup she she wanted me to be bigger and bolder so she always made me open for like three years i opened the main room so i would learn how to be more conversational and open and get away from my jokes all the time and then and then every like few months she'd give me the third or fourth spot and i would just murder and then she goes well that's where you are and then the next week I go back to opening and, uh, and, and, uh, and then she put you after like, she put me up after George Wallace. And I remember George Wallace just looking at me and going, good luck. And uh, <laughs> oh my God, I don't remember my set at all. I just remember that. And I just <laughs> ran to him in Atlanta and I, I reminded him of that. It, I love that. But no, she, she was just so clever how she would put you in spots that would be the, the give you the greatest growth and care about you like that <laughs> the greatest was- roast that's funny oh i didn't know she was roasting comics that's so funny because like i it's i saw the 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 show on showtime that's based on the comedy store i'm dying yeah. up here goldie at goldie's and so yeah. i'm just like did this really happen or how did it go down so it's just like it's really it's- incredible to talk to the people that were actually there and yeah. you got some facetime with mitzi you got to go to her house and that's like pretty awesome and per- oh, so, yeah. I remember the first time I went there, she, we went out to, I, she let me drive her Jaguar, which I was terrified of, to Hamburger Hamlet. And uh, we had <laughs> talked a lot. And then we go back to her house and she goes, now you go upstairs for a nap and go in the first bedroom on the right. And I go to the, she lived in Dorothy Lamore's old mansion, beautiful house. And I go upstairs, but I don't know right or left. They all, I, so I can't tell right or left when I get to the, <laughs> It's a hall, so I didn't. I don't want to mess up the wrong bed, so I laid on the cold tile floor for two hours and oh. waited. But I actually, I was so happy to be there. I actually fell asleep on the tile, and then I went and did my set. But she, uh, she was just so special and so so beautiful, and cared about comics so much. Yeah, that's that's the thing. I mean with the development of com- comedians it feel like that's not happening anymore like everybody wants like insta results insta everything and so everything with like i don't know going viral on tiktok and then you know these people that go to um perform at stand-up comedy clubs um and i don't know it's like a whole different vibe it's like a q a more so than a comedy show yeah and so, yeah in some cases but then there's some there's some uh internet comedians that are actually funny but I don't know, like, I, I want to know um, how how did being on America's Got Talent and being a finalist change your life? Because it's one thing being on America's Got Talent. You were a finalist and you came out. I mean, you didn't come out, but you you, you were in a bikini during the final. And I was I lost my shit. And I, I was like, oh, my God, she did not. Yes, she did. That is hysterical. I hope I'm not ruining anything for anybody. But that was so funny. It was so great. And um, it just takes a lot of, uh, sorry. I, I'm, <laughs> I mean, I heard you, I, I, 
I, when you get on the show, if you're lucky enough to get in the finals, and that was my dream. When I, after my first performance, which I can't even believe I didn't get buzzed off that, I, when I first performance, I got a taste. I said, you know, God, maybe I could make the finals. And I just worked so hard, focused everything I had to make those finals. I worked my tail off. I did hundreds of two minute sets all over the place. And, um, and then I made the finals. People were so good and voted for me. And then but you have one week between the semifinal and the final. And I shot my last clean water, good material on the semifinal. I thought I would save this for the final. I'm like, well, why are you doing that? If you if you don't get, get something good now, you won't make it to the final. So literally, I had one week and I had nothing, nothing. So then I, I remembered when I did Funniest Mom in America, I did this joke. I go, I'm very disappointed. I thought the bathing the final was going to be a bathing suit competition, but I left it at that. Never even considered taking off my my clothes. So then for AGT, I'm like maybe I could do that, but actually take off my clothes. And NBC executives said no way. And it took like three days to convince them. Like oh, it would be really empowering for big women. I was just bullshitting because I had nothing else. <laughs> yes, yes. And then finally oh. go. Yeah. And then this guy, the head guy goes, okay, it's going to be a yes with condition. I'm like, I'll do anything. He goes, you have to have a one piece bathing suit. I'm like, are you kidding? Do you really think I'm going to jump out in a thong? You idiot. <laughs> but the great was, I mean, and this guy, Kevin, um, he stayed up all night to make me the perfect dress that didn't look like a robe because the, the first thing they made me look like a robe and it was going to ruin the joke. And this, this costume guy, Kevin stayed up all night and made this fabulous rip away dress that looked just like a dress. And I, and the next morning when I woke up, I, I told Lou, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm too afraid. I'm it's too stupid. And then, and then I remembered Kevin staying up all night for me. So I'm like, Oh, I got to do it for Kevin. So I did it. And then what happened was I, I, I didn't win, but of course, but um, I got all these thousands of messages from people immediately saying, Vicky, right on. But Lily, my daughter, was watching my Twitter that night. She goes, Mom, you got to see this one tweet. It said, Vicky, tweet. It said, all my life I've been overweight. I've, I've been so depressed. I didn't think I could go on. And then tonight I saw you, someone even fatter than me in a bathing suit. <laughs> and it made me really. <laughs> and I'm like, Lily, let me see that phone. Let me see how much bigger I am. But that made me so happy. Oh, my God. Yeah. And then. I why did she throw you under the bus, though? Why did she throw you under the bus? Jesus it was Christ. Okay. It was, it was okay. <laughs> the fact that you're laughing about it. It's a, it's a testament it. to your character. That's so. My daughter thought it was hysterical. And then, then what I heard a lot was when I walked it, the gay community also was important to me. They've been my big supporters my whole life. And I heard that night when I walked in front of like 20 million people in that bathing suit, I heard I brought a lot of straight men over to the gay community. <laughs> I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Jesus. That, okay. Well, that re I was going to say that 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 reaffirmed my my heterosexuality is all I'm going to say. Oh, uh, thanks. Okay. Well, well you're among the few <laughs> and the proud. But yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it was just um, yeah, my my wife is plus size. That's my genre, uh, preferred genre. Yeah. So it's just, you know, um, with every I don't know, it's just like uh, I don't know this hashtag body positive. And then you right. see these plus size ladies on social media saying um, hashtag body positive. Would you go out with a with a with a plus size chick? And then, you know, like fat guys like me are like, yeah, but would you date a fat guy like me? And they're like, ew, gross. And it's just like, Jesus Christ, you're not even living up to the same standard you have. You know, so. 
I think all body positive means is your clothes are too tight. And- <laughs> Vicky Barbalak explains and, the world. In and also, like, I get so mad when I'm in, like, if anybody, like, is around Los Angeles and you see all those billboards for Torrid, the stores for the fat. Yeah. And these billboards are, like, sexy, comes in all sizes. I just, and then they have a bunch of girls in a white, ugly T-shirts and jeans. No one looks good in that. And I'm like, <laughs> I get so offended that they're being so condescending to the fat. You know, we don't need your condensation. We don't need your stupid billboards. Either you want to fuck a fat chick or you don't, okay? You cannot convince somebody to do it. They want to or they don't. I've tried. It doesn't work. It just, that drives me. And you're right. You're not going to see a bunch of ads for jockey for men plus size. We're not going to see a bunch of big bellies hanging on a billboard in LA. But women, uh, it's driving me crazy. It's, I'm like, just shut up. We are where we are. We don't need your help, Torrid. Well, I don't know. It's all about self-love. You have to love yourself and let every yeah. let the whole world know how in love you are with yourself, that you're not perfect. And guess what? Now you're empowered because you're part of a hashtag. You're part of a hashtag community. You're part of this. Like, so you can be part of the status quo. It's like with cancel culture, people that yeah. got no power controlling their lives whatsoever. You know, it's like, oh, I could get you fired from your job for what you just did or what you just said or how you just wronged right. me. And so, like, you know, with cancel culture, that's just like us comedians are got to be sometimes careful about when you say a certain joke. And so how is cancel culture affecting comedy? And have you been affected by cancel culture? Well, I'm not really, you know, I, I, I like when I speak, I mean, when I speak, like when I speak about fat women and my, I feel like I can because I am that woman and I could talk from my heart, but I don't, I can't, I don't feel right you know, talking from an Asian woman perspective, I don't because I am not. And I understand lately the violence and stuff. I don't have a problem for me kind of backing off from, from just being a little more careful. Like, don't, you know, I, I used to like appropriate a lot of different, like, uh, you know, accents or thing, feelings or whatever. And now I'm kind of like, Oh, we can't do that. And I'm like, okay with it. But I'm also like, trying to be careful not to not to stifle myself or even like uh limit myself too much like personally decide for me that I can't do this or that I'm I'm trying to be to stay you know like talk about what I care about and if what I care about might be a little offensive it could be but I think as long as you have the intention of love it's good but it's uh I'm gonna get we're all so nervous I just don't want to over over censor my own self right because that's part of that stifles the creative process and it really is a form of censorship where you're not able to express yourself completely or entirely because i don't know it feels like a bit like it's disingenuous so like either you just cut it out completely or just just talk about something else because like i, I don't know like i stopped doing po- political jokes are too polarizing and then like you know these big hick-ass dudes want to beat the crap out of me and so after the show or like they're just mean mugging me the whole show because they hate Mexicans or they hate whatever the hell I am, you know? And so <laughs> it's just like, I don't know. I've had these different experiences. So it's like, um, uh, I don't know. I just like really, it, sorry. It, yeah, you're right. You just, 
you don't want to, if, it, if it's getting in your way, you know, being political, if you're a political comic, you're a political comic and they come to see you because they know you're going to be a political comic, but nobody's coming to see Vicki Barbalak from my trailer park to hear me tell you my opinion on politics. So I've never, I mean, I, I mean, uh, one time, uh, uh, Maz Gibrani said, Vicky, when I first saw you, I could tell you, I, I saw your political messages hidden in your comedy. And it, I really liked that. And I was like, you know, that, that was nice to hear. But, but that, that, you know, I, I hide little messages. Mostly it's about just everybody being equal, everybody deserving to breathe the same air, that one is not better than the other of all of us. Yeah. Um, I think that's a great message and especially it's from love and like, you know, the only people that like I sometimes I'll be in the moment and refer to myself as a thick spick named Vic, which is funny because it rhymes and whatever. Yeah. Only complaints I've ever got white women. I never had a Mexican come up to me. And I've said that at all Mexican shows with like 500 people. And like, I didn't get one complaint. Like, hey, that was funny, bro. You know, it wasn't like, hey, bro, I'm going to get you canceled, bro. You know, it's just I don't know. So. <laughs> of somebody who's white could tell you what you can talk about, you know, because ridiculous. That's exactly what's happening. I mean, I mean, with me uh, specifically, like I almost got fired from a from a show because I said a story about choking out my wife during sex, which my wife turned me on to. It wasn't my idea. It was her idea. And so that and I presented it like that in the story. And, you know, she she wrote a very long damaging email about me and my personality and like you know i perpetuate misogyny and why are you giving this guy a platform to speak his his rhetoric against women you know guys like him are the reason for uh um uh feminine feminicide femicide yeah. i'm sorry uh, whatever the, the the killing of women and it's just like i, I I'm, I'm stuttering with these words but it's like she was saying all these things it's like victor gets all of his ideas about rough sex from watching violent porno and it's like no didn't no, you hear my, the part where my wife forced me and bullied me into changing my hand from her hip onto her throat? Like I'm the victim here. Like, you know, fuck you. Don't try to fucking cancel me. I didn't do anything. Yeah. And so it's of yeah. course, like that's not a clean joke. Of course, it's nothing for TV for you know ABC, right. especially. <laughs> You're in a comedy club. Comedy club, yes. And so, but Which even be a sacred spot, I think. I mean, and I you, you said that your wife asked you to do it and that woman just couldn't believe it. Yeah. And, you know, I dissect it in like, you know, an analysis of that story, because it's just like, you know, if I was a hot guy, you know, she would have been like, yeah, I wish she chucked me out. But, you know, I'm a fat guy with titties, so she doesn't want me to do that. And she's like, <laughs> and I've had guys I've seen videos where guys just with his arms crossed, just looking at me like, no, nah, bro, no, nah, no, but you would know, no one want to fuck you, bro. Uh-uh, uh-uh, mm-mm, nope, That's not, not even believable. Then I tell people, then after that, I'm like, so yeah, my day job, I'm a substitute teacher. They're like, okay, now we extra don't believe anything that you're saying. <laughs> you know, it's just like, okay, I told this true story, and I'm telling another true story, and then they're like, we don't believe you, you're a fucking liar. So it's just like sometimes, like, but I've, yeah, I've literally seen people with the arms crossed glaring at me like, you're lying, stop lying but like you know it's not everybody but I've, I've seen it you know happen and i've told that joke a lot of times so it's just like yeah, i've seen <laughs> a lot of reactions to it usually it's good but uh sometimes like, oh my god that is not christianly it's like yeah well how do you think you got here but um yeah. you know yeah. but uh, <laughs> i you know i think that 
it took me a long time to really set in my skin about talking about sex so much that I don't get, you know, people know that I'm so authentic about it. It's so in my core that I, you know, I don't, even though you'd think at 64 years old, looking like this, I would get a lot of resistance. Everyone just rides along pretty much because it's so much who I am and it's who I've been on stage for so long. 64, Jesus, I thought you were like in your early 50s and I'm not just saying that. I really like, wow, that's awesome. You look you're great. And I'm not trying to objectify you or anything. I was just trying to give no. you a compliment from one yeah. friend to another. Um, I'm, a, I'm a senior. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. We'll go to Denny's together and you're my, you're my, you're, yeah. you're my younger sis or get the discount. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, yeah. I'm just kidding. We'll, we'll go somewhere fancier. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's, um, what's it called? I, 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 I don't know how to bring this up. So I'm just going to just, just, just throw Do it at it. you. Okay. So I recently did my first real headliner set like last week were like 60 minutes set. Thank you. And when I got the light, it was a two minute light. I still had like 30 minutes of notes, what? like a 30 minutes of, of material left without looking at my notes. So I was like, wow, Hell yeah, this feels really good. This is really awesome. But like part of it feels like I was winging it. I wasn't really winging it because all this is material that I wrote myself during the pandemic, before the pandemic, since the pandemic, you know, when comedy clubs started opening up again. And so I wanted to ask you, uh, what makes an authentic headliner set? Huh. Mostly like Bill Hicks said, material is what you fall back on when you've got nothing else to say. So <laughs> if the in a perfect world, you'd wing the whole thing and only have to go to your material a little bit. But that's a world that very few people live in. And if they say they are, they're probably faking it. But I mean, that's beautiful. And I think you want to, that's gorgeous. That's exactly where you want to be. You have a base of material and then you're just winging it. That's, that's the goal. That's, that's everything. I love it. You get on, I love you get on stage and you just start and you don't know where you're going. It's so beautiful. Trusting, trusting the comedy odds. The gods were looking out because I was super nervous. Almost canceled. That's how much. That's how much the nerves were bothering me. Yeah. But, then, but lucky for me, I was drinking a lot of water because I knew I was going to be on stage. So I didn't, I didn't want to get dehydrated or anything. So I kept going to the urinal and I kept realizing there's all these photos plastered of me on the wall on top of the urinal at eye level. So how many guys have touched their dicks while looking at me? making eye contact in the bathroom. Yeah. And so I ripped yeah. off one of those signs and I opened with that and the crowd went crazy. That's fabulous. See, so it was, <laughs> I was like, I'm, I'm... open when you open to the room, what is really going on? Then they know you're not a big faker. That's beautiful. Congratulations. That's amazing. You know, you've done the work for a long time and now you get the headline. Thank you. So cool. I, I, really, I really appreciate that. And I wasn't trying to like, okay, how can I brag about headline? It's like, no, I'm a no headliner. It's like, no, I did a headliner spot. I did, you know, I did my contractual obligated time, which for me, that's what I was shitting bricks about. The only it's like, oh, what happens if I forget? It's like, you're not going to forget you're a fat Mexican guy that likes to have sex with your wife elephant style. You're not going to forget that. You're not going to oh. forget your substitute teacher. You're not going to forget you can make elephant sounds. You're not going to, you know, you know that. Like, <laughs> I, I'm proud of you. I think the first time I headlined was in, uh, for a weekend was in Arizona at this shit club in Phoenix. I mean, a <laughs> shit club. And these dudes were running it. My friend Mo, she used to run the downtown comedy club, Garrett Morris's club. And she got me this job, my first headlining job. And uh, so I was there and I, I think the first night I did like 57 minutes. And then the, the owners got really mad at me 
And then the second night, they and I was doing well, but they go, they were so mad about that. Then they go, and the next night I did like 50, like eight minutes, 58 minutes. And they're still, they're so fucking mad. I didn't make 60 minutes. Then the third night, I made 60 minutes. It was the Sunday show. And after I finished my 60 minutes, because I, I, they came up and handed me a note. And it said, there's a fight in the lobby. You need to do some more time. Oh, my God. They were just with me. And I had, I had lost anything I'd ever thought of in my life. I'm starting to take out pictures from my wallet of the dock. And so, but luckily, there was this comic named Roberta Kent, who's still alive and kicking and is really funny. And she used to tell this long joke that Lou always told me, because um, she's like a meat and potatoes comic. She opened for Barry Manilow for 12 years, made a shitload of money. Anyway, she was like, nice. she would tell like some street jokes. And Lou, this one street joke about this hooker, Lou always loved to tell <laughs> street joke that Roberta would tell. So I remembered Roberta's street joke about a hooker, which you can extend to about eight minutes. So I just laid into this hooker street joke. <laughs> killed and i went fuck you you fuckers but <laughs> oh my god yes then that was for the note um yeah that's uh, uh because so like very opposite of you i certainly had nothing left after my first headliner experience oh well i, my, I was like three weeks Good. not not three weeks but i was like maybe like two and a half months into comedy and I did this. Uh, it was really it was a bringer show, but it was a bringer show with a door deal. It's like, yeah, tickets are ten dollars. But for every ticket you sell, you keep five. But if you sell over ten tickets, you keep all the money. So I sold twenty one tickets. So I got paid two hundred and ten dollars, like less than three months into comedy. And I'm like, oh, dude, I'm a professional comic. I'm going to. Wow. Then I went to the comedy store and I had like one of the best sets of my life. And I was like, holy shit, I'm really going to make it. Then I went back to the comedy store two months later and I literally almost committed suicide. I died so hard on stage. So hard. It was like like not even a kick to the teeth. It was like a kick to the cranium, the soul, yeah. like everything. It's just like, OK, hold up, hold up. You're not a professional comic. You're just some 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 some. I don't know what you are. You just got lucky is what happened. Yeah. And you got people. No, <laughs> if you don't bomb in the beginning a whole lot, then you're just a robot. And you're fake. You gotta, you gotta go through a lot of bombing. I got way too into bombing in the beginning. My friends had to have an intervention, so I would stop. <laughs> bombing anonymous. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's rough. You know, it's rough. And like when you get a heart, like people are like, "Oh yeah, I've had a bad day or a bad week." It's like shit. I've had a bad couple of months. Shit, I've almost had a bad fucking year. Thank God for. Yeah. Thank God for this crowd. Otherwise, you know, I mean, earlier on or it's just like there was this one room where it was just like half cafeteria. I mean, I'm sorry, half cafe, half laundry mat. So people would do the laundry with the family and they come on over to the other side and watch comedy, uncensored uh, comedy. And yeah. there would be uh, little kids there and there'd be like pretty much like homeless. Deranged lunatics on stage talking about dead hookers and front of the kids and i'm just like what the fuck are you doing there's like four people here and two of them are little kids why are you yeah. trying to scare them away but at any rate um <laughs> it's like full circle full circle and so um yeah i was just um so with the headliner set like it, it was just like something that like i didn't know i could do it was like one of those because the guy told me how comfortable are you doing how comfortable are you doing 60 minutes and i didn't want to tell him i've never done 60 minutes before oh, yeah oh do it all the time oh yeah. that's yeah, so <laughs> he shows at night. 
Yeah, like every yeah, no, but I was super impressed at the beginning of this podcast. I didn't even comment on it. You you got up last week 27 or 28 times. Oh my god, that's that's like workhorse status. That is that is that is that is so incredibly amazing. Like uh, getting up is is really hard. Getting up that many times like like oh my god, like if you get up 20 <laughs> that's 28 times in one week. That's so amazing. I don't I don't know how you you have the energy to do this podcast, do the shows you're doing tonight and for the rest oh my god. last night I think I really was burned out. I I'm being really careful in the next few days to get plenty of rest and make up for that because not only was it, <clears throat> there was 28 shows, there was 28 meet and greets because I really, that's my favorite thing. So I'm out in the Virginia heat and rain meeting the guests. And that, that was another half hour on every show, at least taking pictures. And that's my favorite, but that took a lot, that takes a lot of energy. That takes as much energy as the set. And, um, <clears throat> so it was a lot, but I felt really great after because, because I did it, you know, because like, that's, it's like, you know, you felt great that your first headline set and you did it and you had leftover and you feel like, wow, you know, all these years doing what we do and working what we do, you know, it's like being a doctor and you don't kill everybody. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that comparison in my life. That's so great. We didn't kill anybody. If we could talk to you, kill anyone. <laughs> and then we're off. Live. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god, Vicky, you're a treasure. You're really. <laughs> oh my god, Jesus! Oh, that is. Oh, that's so good. That is so good. And I've never heard that before. Um. <laughs> oh my god. Um. I have a question. Um. So obviously you have to be clean for America's Got Talent, ABC, which um, all that. Um, do you is your joke writing process for writing clean jokes and your joke writing process for writing dirty jokes the same or dirty or, or I mean, I'm sorry, different or is uh, or what's your process? I really sorry. write a lot of clean material for um, the SeaWorld show at Bush Gardens, those 28s, because I knew a lot of kids would be there. And so I, I try to write jokes from the ground up and I, I did a couple from the ground up, like super grandma concept. And, uh, and then uh, otherwise I kind of just take my regular jokes and modify them for an all age audience. And that's a lot easier for me than to go out. I remember once when I very like 10 years into comedy, I couldn't get an agent, couldn't get a manager. I couldn't get anywhere. And I was sitting in my trailer, the kids went off to school and we were broke as hell. And I'm like, no agents would talk to me. Even after I won Funniest Mom in America, I couldn't get anybody. So then I, I, I was looking in this, uh, I think that, what is it called? The, 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 the thing for act, ICB, what is that? Whatever, where actors look for agents. And I was looking and all I could see was Christian comics wanted, Christian comics wanted, Christian comics wanted. And so I, I was so desperate. I sat down on my computer the whole time kids were at school trying to write a Christian comedy set so I could get an agent and make money. And after spending eight hours, and I'm not kidding you, Victor, the only two jokes I came up with were, I always knew I'd grow up to be a Christian comedy comic because I spent most of my high school years on my knees. (laughs) 
Yes. Oh my God. That is that's so hilarious. That's not Christian friendly. And the second joke was, I'm so embarrassed. I sent my video to Oral Roberts University because I thought it was a school for hookers. <laughs> and those, those are what I spent eight hours trying to become a Christian comic. <laughs> oh my God, this is too relatable. This is too relatable. I sit down and all I do is write blasphemous jokes about why God doesn't exist and why it's it's a huge racket. <laughs> it's just so, I, I, that's, I'm like, I don't think this would be appropriate for a christian show but i just you know it, it, yeah w we all have gone through times where we feel really i don't just i don't know if desperate is the correct word but yeah desperate because it's like for work because it's hard to get work and like i swear to god like i tell people this it's just like hey it might not seem like a lot of money but this is comedy money making like any money from stand-up like i'm mitzi mitzi used to always give me one weekend in la jolla host of featuring featuring for like three or four years, even the, the people in La Jolla hated seeing my face because she knew I, she paid a thousand dollars for that weekend. And she knew I had the girls and I had no other support. And so she always made sure I got that thousand dollar weekend. And you know, my trailer space rent was 500. And then I do a few gay rooms for 75 or a hundred or like a PTA fundraiser. I mean, that's what you have to do. And I, I remember thinking so many times I'm just doing a real horrible job as a mother, putting my daughters through. I felt recently, I said to my daughter, somebody wants to do a story and they need a picture of you and your high school yearbook. She goes, oh mom, we couldn't afford a yearbook. I couldn't afford to buy a yearbook. And I just, my heart sunk. I'm like, yeah, she goes, I told you it was uncool and I didn't want one. And uh, I just felt like the worst person. I just said, oh, Emily, so sorry. She goes, mom, you know, she always tells me what a happy life they had growing up and they're real successful because they had to be, but you know, they had a lot of good times, but it was hard. Uh, absolutely. That's yeah. That's, that's heart wrenching. And uh, that's, you know, you have to sacrifice a lot to be a comedian for sure. And sleep and uh, spending time with your loved ones. It's a hard thing. People don't, people don't understand, but just the passion for standup, you standup is so alluring. I went from being addicted to opioids to being addicted to standup, but yeah. the, the, I don't know. I feel like the rewards from standup outweigh the reward. There's no rewards for opioids. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I, I just really feel like everything. Uh, it's just so hard. I don't know. My heart goes out to 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 you for having gone through that experience. Yeah, but uh, you know what? Better than selling. I could have been wealthy. I could have kept my parents' stupid carpet store that I spent 20 years building. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, yeah, we would have had plenty of money. But yeah, you talk about misery, you know? Yeah. Lily would have, Emily would have had a yearbook, but would she have had a happy mom? Would we have had fun like we did? Would she yeah. have met all my comedy girlfriends and my gay comedy boyfriends and, and had so much? <laughs> fun i mean so we we take that balance and we believe it you know and and you know this consumptive society you know we learned what really counts is having a great time family time that's free mm -hmm. we were like you know another we don't regret it i just those moments of like thinking about the yearbook i'm like <laughs> but oh, i was gonna uh, and i didn't want to interrupt you earlier i'm interrupting you right now so my apologies but i think i and and i'm gonna look for it there is a service where you can order a high school yearbook from any high school any year. 
There's a oh. service. So if you want, like, and I'm oh. pretty freaking sure. I'm almost, I'm like 99% sure. Okay, oh. listen, uh, you're about to give the coolest present. That would be <laughs> the coolest thing, wouldn't it? Yeah. Make sure she doesn't listen to this podcast. Okay, okay. okay. Damn it. I was going to say, can you please share this podcast? No. <laughs> I don't want to ruin it for your kid. And she's like, who's that fat guy? It's like, no, no, don't worry about it. It was it was a bad interview. That's so uh, cool. <laughs> but no, but anyway, no, that that yeah. So I'll I'll look for it after we're done with this and I'll shoot you the link because Thank I really you. I know just just seeing the look on your face, it was just like, okay, cool. Yes, there was a reason that why I said yes to do this podcast. <laughs> I'll go get a bunch of people to sign it and then I'll fake a bunch of popular kids. No, she <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah. No, no. Just, um, I mean, I'm not telling you what to do. I mean, it's just so like, you know, just writing a yearbook, but like, you know, sorry, I couldn't afford it, but you know, I got that's so cool. My yearbook is so special to me because I could not pass chemistry and, um, I couldn't pass it and I had to pass it because you couldn't graduate from high school if you didn't pass chemistry. So mm -hmm. I asked the yearbook, I was on the yearbook staff as a photographer. I asked the yearbook director, I go, look at, can I get a two page spread in the middle? for the chemistry teacher. He go, I go, I need to pass chemistry. And Mr. Boffman goes, yes. So I go and I talk to this old chemistry teacher who was about to retire. I said, listen, if you give me a C minus, and I'm not asking for a B here, I'm asking for a C minus, I'll get you the middle spread in the yearbook. <laughs> and he goes, okay. So in the Corona High School 1975 yearbook, there's a two page spread of this old guy with a beaker. <laughs> that's some crazy negotiating yeah <laughs> wait wait was he did you how did you know that he wanted a two-page spread did he just talk he about it he would like a two-page spread in a yearbook he's kind of vain absolutely vain if that's the trade-off yeah. that's he was, uh, well you know it, it didn't even he didn't even blink he went yes like that because in high school my physics teacher accidentally slipped during office hours telling me that he used to smoke a bunch of weed when he was in high school oh my god and then so i gotta be i don't know shit about physics but i gotta be that's sweet yeah i could never take physics, <laughs> physics was tough no 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 because i actually knew but some you have stuff yeah but i was just like hey you know what <laughs> You're either going to give me that B or you're going to take that L and lose. Yeah, exactly. Job, yeah, that's no, I'm just, I never threatened him. I never threatened no, him. No, but, but was, was cool you didn't teacher. need to. I didn't need to. He was a cool dude. And no, no, because he said, because he was like, yeah, when I was in high school, he used to smoke a bunch of weed. Just, <laughs> just like you. Just like you. He added just like you. And so I was just like, oh, fuck. But it was cool because it's like I learned right then and there. If you go to office hours, and you make friends with a teacher and like at, on a on a person to person level, you're more likely to pass that class, regardless of what scores you get on the final, what scores you get on your presentation, what scores you get on your final term paper. It's exactly. And further adding to that, if you go to their officers office hours and they hate the sound of your feet as you go up the hallway to their office because they can't stand your face again, asking them how to do geometry one more time and they're gonna kill themselves. I, th I had this one geometry teacher in college, it was geometric rendering and I never got through geometry. I shouldn't have been in that class, but he, and he was ready to retire and he'd hear me clomping down the hallway and he'd go, no, no, 
He yelled, oh no, not her. And it was like the third time I was in the, repeated the class and he goes, listen, listen, just find somebody who knows what they're doing and sit next to them. I go, okay. And I, I found this Japanese foreign exchange student in Fresno State. And I told her the plan and she goes, really? I go, yeah, that's what we do here. <laughs> she goes, and she sit, so I'm sitting next to her at this table and the teacher looks at the class and he goes, all right, we're gonna have the test now. Is everyone ready or sitting next to someone who is? And he looks right at me. <laughs> that's <true. laughs> Oh my God, yeah, I, I've been on both ends of that yeah. spectrum because I also teach. So I yeah. ex extra hate my life during the day. Um, <laughs> it's just like, oh, well, yeah. Oh, my kid's a saint. And you know what? Your kid might be a saint by themselves. But when these kids get together at school, they turn into a wolf pack. And like everything that you know of them, they're not even the same person. Like if there to be like a candid camera of what I'm seeing and how they're treating me, you'd be like, my kid doesn't act like that. I'm like, there's video evidence of your kid acting like that. So regardless of what you taught your kid at home, kids change because of peer pressure, their environment, you know, just like us adults, we change because of peer pressure in our environments. And so, you know, they're much like us, but, you know, it's much easier to yell at kids and, you know, it is at adults and you're do less they, do likely. They actually, I mean, I, I love that concept. Do you like sometimes just flip on a video of, of them acting out or is your constantly video in the class? No, none of the above. Like okay. there is no recording of the students whatsoever, which is you're a not great rule. You're not allowed to. And sometimes kids are being dickheads like in my class. And it's just like I want to record and be like, dude, did you see how ridiculous you look doing doing this? And then I had a kid go. I was like, can you please sit down? He's like, yes, daddy. And I was like, OK, listen, dude, I don't know what's going on at home, but don't ever call me that again. Don't ever call me that again. Like, it's just I don't know what the hell that's from, but I'm like, I don't feel comfortable with anyone calling me that. Not even my own wife, yeah. you know. <laughs> uh, unless, yeah. it's, unless it's a Spanish version, unless she calls me Poppy, but uh, yeah. that's <laughs> which is different than Dad. I don't know, but you know, everybody has their own thing, you know. But Daddy's cool, I guess, but not not in a classroom. I've I've seen like horrible shit go down. I've had to break up fights, like really bad fights, like you know, like pumpkin face of fights. I swear to God, the worst fights are always the girl fights. They're always more like than the guy fights. It's yeah. more like just like, you know, like the ruffling of the feathers with the guys. Chicks get down. Chicks yeah. Ails. Ass. Oh, and the hair pulling and this. Oh, my God. I was in this high school and it's a uh, it was a <laughs> and they were both in my class. They were just both in my class. And it was uh. just and the and uh, one of the one of the students had disrespected me. So, you know, who I was hoping won that fight, not her. But she won uh. that fight and I had to break it up because she was whooping the shit out of some other kid. I'm like, damn. That could have been me on the other end of that. No, I'm just kidding. No, you, get, I'm sure teachers get hurt a lot trying to break up fights. Oh, yeah. Teacher. Well, here's the rule. You're not supposed to even intervene in fights. You're supposed to let security handle it. I'm like, OK, cool. So I already see this like, I don't know what you want to call it, like this humongous bulge. They probably need to go to the hospital about like and they, she didn't go to the hospital and they don't have a nurse there. They just put an ice pack on there and send her to class. And I'm just like. Send her to the hospital. Like, I just broke this fight up. Yeah. That thing was like pulsing at me. Oh. Like, oh, it was like, how did you do? It? And then, like, so like I get in between the fight and break it up. And like the girl, like, I still beat that peachy's ass. And I'm just talking. Oh, <laughs> she's Mexican. So she had this, like this big old chichi on her on her on her face. And I'm just like, 
Okay, listen, you know, you're not, trust me, I'm protecting you at this point. Like, just stop. Please stop. This is not uh-huh. okay. So it's just like, uh, I don't know. And then one of the most vicious fights uh, I ever saw was between two six-year-olds, two first graders. And this black girl was fucking up this little black kid like hard. It was like, like, and I was holding her back with one arm, like almost like clo- clotheslining her because, you know, I'm not going to like bear hug a kid. So I went like this and she like literally was going against my body and like she was s- causing resistance. Like she was well, like maybe six. like 45 pounds or 40 pounds or something. Yes. And she was just like a monster, like, like trying to whoop that kid's ass. And part of me was trying not to laugh my ass off because it was yeah. comical. It was so comical. I was like, oh my God, dude, <laughs> put up your arms. Like, you know, get in the fetal position, do anything, but just stand there and take the punches in the face. Just, oh God. Oh my God. And I'm just, <laughs> and then you can't, you know, I had to stop that fight, but that was a, and then, um, and then she was cursing and, and like first grade and like, yeah, you ain't nothing but a bitch. And I'm like, okay, okay. I don't know how the hell I'm going to have to write this up, but I have to write this. <laughs> so like when fights happen and I witness them and or break them up, I have to give a test of, testament of what just happened and it's just like okay so i'm a mandated reporter so i have to yeah. report what just happened which is you know that's that's a good rule i think that's a good rule but sometimes it's like you know preventable like you know and like these kids like will go out of their ways just to try to run me off like you know by by telling me that anybody that reads is gay and if you read okay. you're gay it's just yeah. like what and like I, this this I, reverse psychology ain't working on me dude like now, <laughs> but uh, so, I just feel so bad for the little. My grandsons get bullied, and I, I, my, I just. Uh, but but anyway, we, you just try to find a good place for them. But. Well, it's it's hard though because like the way I grew up was just well, you just sock them in the mouth, and now yeah. if, and now if you tell a kid that, then they're gonna want to talk to you. Why did you tell your kid to do that? We're a peaceful school well, with you know peaceful what? interventions, I, and my daughter, I I my daughter Emily, uh, I. I, when she was like 12, I sent her to Krav Maga. It was way before I started stand-up, but I, I sent her to Israeli street fighting so she'd be safe. And so I told her the other day, I'm like, let's just take, I'll, have, I'll pay half, let's, let's take Ben and Joel, you send him to Krav Maga. And, it's, and there will be, even if they never use it, they'll know how to punch somebody for being bullied. And you only have to do it once. That's awesome. That's really awesome. Yeah, well, ho- hopefully I just I just hate bullying. I hate bullying. Like and I recall at a predominantly Hispanic school, this little white kid was getting bullied because he was white. If you have ever heard of such a th- I'm, I've never seen it before. I saw yeah. it in person. I'm yeah. Mexican, like all the other students that were bullying right. him. And it was just like it was just a cultural difference. It was just he didn't know how to communicate with the other kids. And so I just I was just like, hey, what's your name? He's like, Dylan. I was like, all right, cool. Here, come over. So I grabbed his hand. I'm like, hey, everybody. Uh, is it cool if Dylan sits with you guys at lunch today and from now on? Like, yeah, OK. So then he just sat there. And then from now on, he sat with those kids. He was no longer the loner kid. But teachers can do such good. And I know it's different when you're a sub because you come in and out. Yeah. But, you know, everybody has a teacher that made them feel like they could not they could survive in this world. Well, yeah, I mean, it was just but also teachers, though, have motivated me out of negativity. I, in my ninth grade year, I had a teacher tell me that I read out loud like I'm retarded. She used those words. 
She says uh-huh. she, she used the, in private, yeah. but still, I yeah. could have got her fired. I could have ruined yeah. her whole fucking career yeah. and everything she's worked so hard for. But I don't know. That's when I found out. At least it was early on that words do have power. Words do right. affect people. And, you know, it's just like, hey, I graduated from college. So it's, that lady probably didn't even know I graduated from high school. But it isn't about her. It's about, you know, evolving, getting better, getting, you know, to where you're at now. And so I don't know. I just feel like with like writing new jokes, it's so it's what keeps comedy fresh because like I'm excited to tell new jokes, new stories, or maybe they're not so new stories because it happened a while ago, but you just remembered them and you get excited about yeah. Telling- there's nothing better than having a new joke it's like you get so excited when you're driving you've got a new joke tonight (laughs) yeah dude yeah i I have this i was like laying in bed with my wife and i came up with this because i have a deviated septum from uh poor decisions i used to make and um i was breathing and i found out that uh, i can uh (laughs) like an elephant right and so i'm in bed with my wife and i'm just all like what happens if I tell the audience that I like making love to my wife like animals and those animals are elephants and I, I get on my wife and I'm just all like, and then I do that elephant sound. You should raise your arm like this. Just be all provocative, like add a little despacito type of like. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Vicky, you're right. You're like, Victor, you need to make it more sexy. You need to make I mean, it more sexy. OK. The then physical, you, <laughs> and then, of course, the trunk is, you know, where it is. <laughs> oh, funny. my. Yeah. So, like, I, I figured that out, like, right there in bed before the show. And I'm like, I don't have time to open mic this. How do the professionals do it? They go out there with confidence like they've been saying it for yeah. years. Yeah. And boom, that's what I did. And it worked. And it was it got everyone's like, dude, I never heard you say that joke before. I'm like, I just came up with it. I just you know, came up with it. When, and that's the best thing that makes your day. When I, I when I started stand up, I didn't know that everyone didn't go to the library and read books about stand up comedy because that's what I did. My husband at the time, he worked at UCSD, Jono, the girl's dad, and they could I could order any book in the world in the UC catalog and it'd be delivered. Oh, oh that's so awesome. I read like 20 or 30 books written mostly in the 40s and 50s about comedy, a few in the 60s. And there, there was always this argument about Saturday night. You save your best jokes for Saturday night and you save your new jokes. Some comics said, save your new jokes for Saturday night when you have the best audience. And then you'll see if they're good or not. Then some people go, well, you're risking losing your audience on a Saturday. But I think that overwhelmingly those old comics said, save your new stuff for Saturday night. Okay, well, in this case, I was so pumped up. I'm going to I'm going to yeah. remember that. But um, that's your Saturday night, Mr. Saturday night. Yeah. Mr. Yeah. New Material, uh, yeah. because uh, I get I mean, some people. We all know the people that have the same act that they've had for decades. Right. And it's just there's no there's nothing wrong with switching some stuff up. And that's that's, you know, I don't know. Like for me, it's not even about pride. It's about like getting new fans, uh, making sure that the old ones um, still support me by knowing that I'm still coming through with new stories, new ideas and uh, new jokes. And so I just want to make sure I don't know. It it sucks because you try to make everybody happy. I literally had a I literally had a producer of a comedy show tell me in front of another comic. Hey, dude, 
really good shit tonight, but uh, you didn't do your elephant joke. What's up with that? And I was uh, like, I ran out of time, dude. And he's like, no, dude, I, when I book you, I love, I love to hear that joke. I want you to say that joke every time you're here. And I was I'm like, what the big, fuck? Most comedy producers aren't funny. <laughs> this guy, this, yeah, yeah, that's, that's pretty funny and pretty accurate. I mean, and <laughs> It's very rare when that's not the case. They're producing shows because they they should be. Thank God um, oh, that's so rude. I can't believe. Oh, well, I can't take it back now. No, anyway. no, no. But but also, though, I know what you're saying, but that's that's, uh, you know, the, the I'm not <laughs> the the thing about producers, though, is when they're not comics, and they think that they know what it's like to be a comic because they're always around comics, but never go on stage. And so, like, for me, like, that's just kind of like, oh, well, this is how you need to do comedy. I'm like, well, you're not even a comic. So, oh, I no. yeah, that just makes me want to just ugh. it's like whatever. You can't teach comedy. You can't you can't I think you just you, I think comedy classes are a good thing for people when they start, because then it makes you show up each week with material. But, you know, you never should listen to the teacher. That'd be an awful idea. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just like, yeah, this is how you could be more like me as a comedian. It's exactly. If you want to be like Victor Pacheco when you go on stage, buy my course. But like, I don't know. I've only heard of like one teacher who like goes out and watches their students who pay and then they curtail each lesson. Like, so it isn't like a class or seminar. It's just like one-on-one -on -one coaching type of thing. But everybody has yeah. their own shtick everybody has their own um right I don't, know, I don't know their own gimmick but like I, one thing that i thought was pretty cool is you're an ordained minister and you yeah. have your own company you founded the company uh the wedding chapel to go and i recently got asked by one of my fans to officiate their wedding and i was wondering if you had any advice on how to what what it takes to be a great wedding officiator it's so much work. You make sure you charge enough money because it's so hard and it's so much scarier than doing a comedy show. Because if you screw up a comedy show, oh, you screwed up a comedy show. If you screw up a wedding, you screwed up their life. So you you have to, it's the pressure is to me so immense. I've gotten used to it now, but man, when I started, I was like terrified. And I get to know the couple, I get to know their history, how they met, like their dynamics. And then I write the ceremony about them. I mean, I have a quick, a quickie message, you know, a quickie marriage if they want it. But most of the time, it just takes a lot, a lot of meetings, time. I send them basically the script. We go over it. But and that's how it is for me. So, yeah, you get to know them and then you make it about them, all about them. And uh, the good thing, though, that I, that that about our wedding chapel to go. And I think that separates this <laughs> any other one is we offer a $29 and 95 cent half hour honeymoon in the back of the van. <laughs> oh my God. That gets me every fucking time. That's it's so true. fucking funny. It's That's so fucking funny. Out, you know, it's, it's, it's unique. I, mean, I did this one show for these really rich people, really nice people in the yeah. San Luis Obispo and their parents were in trash. Both of them are in trash. One's recycled family, one's trash family. It's like they merged these two <laughs> people together like a kingdom to get married and make a giant trash conglomerate. Such nice. <laughs> anyway, so they're, we, they, get, they get married at Madonna Inn. So I bring the van up there. We do the wedding in a beautiful garden. We met them. We got to know them. A private, a personalized wedding. Lovely time. Beautiful. But then 
she wants to press this gown into the back of my Ford Transit van for the $29.95 half hour honeymoon. And everybody's standing around. It's a video opportunity. But I mean, this, this I don't know, this gown might've cost 50,000. I don't know. I mean, it was, it was as big as this hotel room. And we kept pushing and pushing all this gown in. It took like 12, 13 minutes to load this gown in, close the door. <laughs> I mean, we wrecked that gown. <laughs> That's incredible. That's okay. That's that's incredible. I hope my world of uh, wedding officiating is as uh, colorful as that. I mean, because that's a high bar of just the just the the really cool factor, really unique factor. That's I don't think anyone could top that. That's hilarious. Uh, yeah, we're trying to fit this dress in this little <laughs> little hatch. Oh my god! The first time my daughter went with me, we um, Danny Wolf producer he was working for playboy channel and he wanted me he asked me to bring the van up to las vegas and there was a show called my first threesome or something like that where people had their first threesome so they wanted to renew their vows before the threesome to kind of get their their lives straight before they had a free threesome <laughs> so they renewed their vows and then they they did it in the back of the van and they they, they, they really shook that van up but my daughter, Emily, came with me and she wanted me to throw the sheets away. And I'm like, no, I'm not gonna go to Walmart and buy another set of sheets every time somebody uses them. And so I put him like two plastic bags so she didn't gross out. <laughs> yeah, that would get really expensive or bring your own <laughs> sheets. Forget yeah. it. I'm washing in hot water, it's, it's hermetically sealed and safe. Yeah, that's, that's what's important. As long as people are safe and you know, you, you know where the I, line is. I'm not yeah. a pig, yeah. but Emily was so prudy. Oh, mom. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that's, you know, that that's the thing about innovation. You know, not everyone's always on board, even the ones no. closest to you, the ones that you love, you know, they, they yep. you know, there's like doubt. I don't know. I grew up Mexican. It's like, no, mijo, don't do that. You're going to embarrass the family. It's just like, okay, well, we'll see, you know, but um, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> this has been so much fun. And I got my eyelashes on. Oh, absolutely. Um, down to the theater for my little sound check. Oh, yeah. No, uh, this is awesome. I want to be respectful of your time. So I much and, fun. Yeah, I had a great time. Before we go, I just want to ask one last question. Uh, where can the people find you? Um, or is there anything you want to plug? Um, well, you can find me on Vicky Barbalak comedy dot com or Vicky Barbalak on all the all the social. But the thing I'm loving most right now is my best friend, Sean Pulaski, and I have Trailer Park Diaries. Uh, Bill Burr's company, All Things Comedy, produces it for us. And we're uh, season two, one and two are both out, Trailer Park Diaries. It's uh, episodic. We read from these diaries we find in our trailer park and we enhance them. And then we talk about things we should not talk about because we forget we're on podcasts. But <laughs> <laughs> yes. so we, we've had a ball. We have a different cocktail at the beginning of every episode and uh, super fun. So Trailer Park Diaries on all podcast platforms. Oh, that is so awesome. Yeah, be sure to check that out and follow Vicky everywhere. Um, and do yourself a favor, catch her live and support her. She's very great. Uh, again, Vicky, I want to thank you very much for joining us today on Poppycock Podcast. And I want to thank everyone at home for listening in. So thank you, everybody, and see you next time. Right on, Victor. Thanks, Good to talk, Vicky. Good to, talk to you. Thank you so much. And thanks again. Thank you.
Thanks for listening. Subscribe on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, do your boy a favor. Tell your friends. Tell your cool family members. Tell your cool co-workers. Let them know about the podcast. And leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. And be sure to follow me on all social media, Puro Papi Pacheco. And check out my website at HispanicTitanic.com for future dates. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you on the next one. Have a great day.